Kids, yeah, you are dismissed. Three years through kindergarten. All right, true story. A few years back, I was out on uh, what they call Black Friday, right? And uh, I'm not saying whether I got up myself or I was drug along. We're not going to go there. I, I went out. And I found my way into a local Old Navy store. And uh, I, I didn't really have any, any agenda for being in there. There was nothing really I was looking for, but I was just in there looking around. And I saw this big uh, metal cart sort of thing, a bin full of fleece blankets. They were all rolled up nicely with a nice ribbon around them, you know, ready for Christmas gift giving. And they were a really good deal. And so I thought, I'm going to get a couple of those because I have a few family members and I'm cheap and this will be perfect. Uh, and so I was, uh, it's just a huge, huge bin. And all these people were standing around it, uh, mostly ladies. They're all looking, trying to find fleece blankets. And uh, I found this, this light, really nice light purple one. I think it was light purple. And I think it was like the last light purple one in the bin. Okay, so I've got it. And I've got like a navy blue one in my other hand, you know. So I've got these two. And, and all these ladies are looking. They're like trying to find the right color. And then this one lady sees that I've got the last light purple one. And she says, hey, this guy's got the last purple one. And she starts pointing at me. And I'm thinking, I, I don't even know what to do here. You know, do you run? Do you go up to the checkout line as fast as, I mean, what happens on Black Friday? I don't know. It's not like I had a, a, a computer and I was getting trampled. Or I, I, don't, I wasn't like that. It was a blanket. So um, so she's pointing me out, and I don't know what to do. And so I'm just, I kind of smile, you know. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> and, uh, and somebody comes up to me. Another, a woman comes up to me and says, would you trade, would you trade me? I need, I need that light purple blanket. I need that. And what do you think I did? I didn't do it. I, I kept it. I mean, not because I cared, but because I didn't want her to care. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was some sort of really terrible point I was trying to make by saying, no, I'm not going to trade you. And I walked up to the line. That's horrible. That's horrible. All right. Um, anyway, <laughs> I don't even remember who I gave that blanket to, but I hope they appreciate it. I hope they appreciate it. So anyway, uh, I think we all kind of understand how ironic it is, maybe I don't know if that's the right word, that, that we have a day to give thanks and to look at all the things God has already done for us, and then the next day we focus on everything we need to get, you know, that we don't have yet, gifts that we need to give. And, and th- there's just a horrible contradictory thing going on there. Uh, and Thanksgiving's a wonderful holiday because it does push you to look at what you already have. I think, as, as Eric said earlier, it's very non-commercialized because we all know to make it commercial kind of undercuts the very purpose of it. And that doesn't stop Black Friday from starting to happen on Thursday night. I mean, I, you already saw the commercials for that stuff going on. But um, and if you haven't, don't mark that down. Don't worry about it. It's not happening, okay? Um, but Thanksgiving is the perfect chance to look at the gifts you've been given and to respond to those gifts. And there's a wonderful passage in the book of James that calls us just to focus on the giver of those gifts. Go to James chapter 1, verse 17. It's a little verse tucked away 
um, in the first chapter of James. Probably the majority of you have heard it and know it. You could probably quote it to me. goes like this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, with whom there is no change or shifting shadow. Okay? Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, with whom there is no change or shifting shadow. I just want to focus in on that verse, but I want to look at it in the context of James 1. In other words, you, you, can, you can just preach the verse, or you can see where the verse comes in the whole line of what's going on in chapter 1. So I'm going to read most of chapter 1, get to the verse we're looking at, and try to look at it in, in, in the flow of thought that James has. Here it is, James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. When he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The first thing we have in verse 17 is a description of the gifts that God gives us. It says they are good and perfect. They're good gifts. They're perfect gifts. In fact, uh, maybe a more literal translation might say it like this. Every good giving. The the word, literally you'd read it, every good giving and every perfect gift. There are two different words for gift there, okay? Uh, There's perfect gifts and there's good giving or good gifts. But but there are definitely two different words for gifts there, so you might want to translate them a little bit differently. The NIV makes it and, and smooths it out, you know, every good and perfect gift that flows really nicely. But literally, every good giving and every perfect gift. So he's emphasizing the way God gives. God gives in a good way. And all of his gifts are perfect. And all of them are from above. 
He wants to call your attention to the kind of gifts you've got. We have all of these wonderful gifts from God. All of these things that we enjoy that are good and perfect, they come from God. So, your homes are a gift. Your kids are a gift. The air that you're breathing now, gift. The car that you're going to drive home, it's a gift. The salvation that you enjoy is a gift. That gift a lot. There's a whole host of gifts that we have received. And maybe we don't call them gifts, but, but they are. The food you're going to eat on Thanksgiving Day, gift. The family members you're going to enjoy that day, gift. You, you could go on and on and on and on with the gifts you've received, the health you enjoy, gift. The patience you have in trials, gift. All of these things have been given by God to us. But do we call them that? Do, do, we, do we name them? Do we label them? These are gifts. That's what we're called to do here. Every good and perfect gift. Every good giving and every perfect gift. And it also calls our attention to the fact that um, there's good ways to give and maybe not so good ways to give. And, and it also calls our attention to the fact that um, earlier in the chapter it said, and this is another famous verse, every good, and uh, no, go back, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, right? Now, you notice James doesn't say whether those trials are from God or not. You notice that? I mean, we're talking about what God gives us. He'll give you wisdom, it says in James chapter 1. If you ask God, he will give you wisdom. Why wouldn't he give you wisdom? Of course he'll give you wisdom. I mean, it's like, it's like uh, if my kids ask for dessert, you know, after dinner. I mean, imagine your, my kids saying, Dad, can we have dessert? And I say, no, I've got this peanut butter pie in the freezer, but you can't have any. Sorry. You know, <laughs> no, you know, I'm not going to eat that all for myself. I do fleece blankets, but I don't keep desserts. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going to share it. I'm going to share what I have. If I enjoy it, and if it's mine, I want my kids to enjoy it, too. That's the way God is. He wants you to enjoy some of the things that he has. And he says, in one case, it's definitely wisdom. God loves handing out wisdom. And when we humble ourselves before him and say, God, I'm going through a hard time and I don't understand what's going on. I need wisdom. I need to make right decisions. He's going to give you wisdom. Maybe the problem is we're too used to making decisions without asking for the gift of wisdom. Like we just kind of figure we're going to make the right decision, so we just do it instead of leaning on God day by day to say, God, please help me make the right decisions today. For a husband and a wife to say, we really disagree on this area but we're asking God to fill us both with wisdom as we try to decide this hard thing. And then know he's going to give it to you because that's one of his gifts in James chapter 1. It's one of his gifts. Uh, trials aren't specifically said here to come from God. I, I, don't, I don't see that in James 1. Job certainly makes it sound that way, though, uh, when Job says, shall we receive good from the Lord and shall we not also receive trouble? God doesn't do evil, but God's will includes some troubling things to happen to us. So that Job could say, God has brought me trouble. Maybe you don't call that a gift, but look at what happens because of trouble, because of the trials. If you look at verse 4, it says, 
Perseverance must finish its work. So your trials are making you better at persevering. And when perseverance is done, you're going to be mature and complete. The word mature is the word perfect. The word perfect. Perseverance must finish its work so that you will be perfect. That's a gift, right? Every good and perfect gift is from above. God wants to give you maturity. And the only way that that comes about is by sending you through some hard things. Okay? Perfect. That's a gift too. So wisdom, all these things. Uh, One thing God doesn't give is temptation. Do you see that in verse 11? When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God doesn't give you temptation. He gives you strength in temptation, but he doesn't send you temptation. He doesn't tempt you. He doesn't do that. That's not one of his gifts. So this is just a sampling of some of the things God has given us. But we also say God is a good giver, right? Every good giving is from above. Every good giving, which denotes the act of giving, the actual physical act of giving you something which I believe calls the church to give like God gives. How does God give? He gives freely, right? Freely. Grace. Like, if you, if you get saved and think that you're going to pay him back, you've got the whole thing messed up, right? Isn't that what Romans says? Uh, Romans 4, verse 5 However, the man who doesn't work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Don't work for your salvation. I mean, work out your salvation, Paul would say later. Work it out. Let it flow through you into your works. James says faith without works is dead. But we don't work for our salvation. You're not earning it. You're not paying him back. Now, some Christians say, well, that's a fine line because I feel like I want to serve God. I want to thank God. I want to do all these things back for what he's done for me. And it's fine to respond in love to God. But never let yourself go to the place where you're going to be paying him back because it's a free gift. It was an expensive gift on the cross that bought your relationship with God. It was an expensive gift, but it's free to you, not free to Jesus. Now, where am I going with that? Um, You ever been invited to somebody's house? And you have a nice dinner, first time you're ever invited over, and you walk out and you think to yourself, what do you think? I'm going to have to have them over. (laughs) Right? Some of you do that? I mean, they had me over, that was very kind, we have a nice meal, I got to reciprocate, I got to give back. It's kind of like, we we often think of giving in, in the Christmas kind of giving, like, I give to you, you give to me, right? I mean, we have a family tradition where, we uh, draw names out of a hat, and so you don't have to buy gifts for like everybody, but you you buy for that person, okay? And and, and there's like a, there's like a like a a cost limit. There's like a money limit. Like spend twenty dollars on whoever whoever's name you draw out of the uh, hat. Unless you get a good fleece blanket deal, then you can go low, right? That's fine too. Um, so, uh, but but our giving is often in the sense of it's like it's like we're little it's like we're little store clerks, shopkeepers. You know, we like. Okay, we were given this. We're going to give this back. You gave me these things. Now I've got to do something to give back to you. But that is not the way God gives. He he doesn't give in a way where you owe him back what he's done for you. 
what if we gave in a way that just said, I'm blessing you and I want nothing in return. That's the way I'm giving to you. I don't expect you to ever invite me over to your house the way I've done for you. Just, just be blessed. I want nothing back. That's the way God gives. So whenever your mind starts to do that thing of, oh, they came and did this for me. Now I owe them. That's not the way God gives. Stop yourself in your tracks. God doesn't give that way. That's a very human and even maybe even worldly way of doing gift giving. Not us, though. Like, we know better. We know better. By the way, Jesus talks about this, too, uh, just so you hear from the master teacher, uh, Luke 14. Jesus says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Try to do things in a way where no one can pay you back for them. Because that's the way God gives. You can't pay him back. All right. So that's the kind of giving. That's the way God gives. Now we look at, in verse 17, the actual character, no, the actual person, excuse me, of the giver. If you look again in our verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Now I'm not sure about heavenly lights. But my, my thinking is that people in their day were tempted to look to the stars for guidance. It's a very pagan way of looking at it. And then the gods were in the stars. And, and it's, it's all this coming from the stars. And James says, no, no. Anything that you have comes from the Father who made the stars. You're looking at the creation and not the creator. Wrong focus. Which is often often our focus too. Every gift that we have comes from above. You notice what great lengths he goes to to say it's from up there? You know, every good and perfect gift is from up there, coming down from up there, from the Father who made the stuff up there. You know, it's like everything's focused up. Thankful people are not people that focus on this this horizontal plane as much as the vertical plane, you know? I'm looking up. Where did you get all the stuff? You have? Well, I earned it. That's me focused. Oh, you notice in the context of James, when it talks about temptation, when, when any of you is tempted, don't God is tempting me. Isn't it funny how quickly we are to, to try to blame somebody else outside ourselves, but when something good happens, we tend to try to take credit? Like, that's who we are, right? You know, I did that. I earned that. Not me. That's my gifts. But when something bad happens, it's like, it's him. It's them. Eve sa- Adam says, it's the woman you gave me. The woman says, it's the serpent. The serpent doesn't get asked who, who, who did this to you, you know, because the serpent would have had nobody to point to except for God. So why ask the question? You know, <laughs> the questioning stops there. No more excuses. This is wrong. Um. When it comes to bad things, we're very quick to look elsewhere and try to fix blame. And, and for, for the James readers, it looked like some of them were pointing up for that. Yeah, I'm being tempted. I'm giving in. I'm sinning. But it's his fault. He, he's the one that's sending me these temptations. He's putting me through this. James says, no, 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 no. 
your own evil desire tempts you to do those things. Don't be blaming anybody else. It's not devil made me do it. You are doing it. And he, and he says, when, um, well, when he says, uh, verse 15, then after desire, your desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. This is verse 15. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. There's a gift for you. The gift of sin gives you death. Which is not much of a gift. So the challenge here in this passage is to, uh, to look up whenever you consider your gifts, to spend time saying, God, you did this for me. You did it. My gifts come. The challenge is to look upwards instead of outwards, instead of at yourself. Don't do that. Resist that temptation. Look at God. Do you like this sermon? Well, then you should know that I wrote it. If you don't like it, Pastor Andrew, help me. You know, that, that's, kind of what we, that's kind of what we do, right? You know, that's kind of, that's how we do it. We're good at that. Um, but it's more difficult to say God spoke to me this week and hopefully I'm reflecting the words that he gave. If it fell short, it was me, not God. It was me. Um, there's something about knowing that gifts come from up there, up there. It's kind of like we need to know as people, where they come from, we we need we have this desire. We we tend to we tend to credit ourselves, but we've never been to heaven to see where these blessings come from. If they come from there, I've never seen there. But don't you think that there's this there's this desire to know where things come from? I'm, I'm thinking of like my our adoption of Grayson. You know, going to Uganda is one of the best things we could have done. It was hard, but it was one of the best things because we could walk into the orphanage and we wanted to see it. You know, we wanted to see the crib right, that he slept in for nine months. We needed to see it. We needed to see the woman that took care of him and and, and shake her hand or give her a hug. We needed to talk to her because that's where he came from. And one day I imagine we'll probably go back and take him back to see his culture, you know. You need to see where you're from. We all have that desire to know where we're from. And I think it's absolutely essential also to know where every good thing that you enjoy comes from so maybe that means you're sitting around the table at thanksgiving and dad says we're going to go around the table and just say what we're thankful for what god has given us that we enjoy and we all just go around and share it maybe it's something like that maybe it's this week just being more intentional about thanking him and thinking about the things he's given us already but let's look up Let's look up. Lastly, we have the character of the giver, the character of God. Um, He doesn't change like shifting shadows. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. I think we have another, uh, um, whatever you want to call it, stars in the sky, uh, that that, that, uh, constellations, Cosmos, all those sort of things. And he says, you know, the, the sun can be eclipsed by the moon. When the sun is, is, is moving across in the day, or actually it's not moving, we're moving. <laughs> but as we're moving around the sun, shadows are cast. Shadows move throughout the day. Sundials kind of work that way, right? Things, things move. But 
even though there's so much change in the world and so much moving, there's one who doesn't move. There's one who doesn't change. And that's God. And as I was praying earlier, it's like we know the one firm thing in the entire universe. Everything else can be changed. Even the things that we think are there forever, they can be changed. Our families, our kids, our house, our car. I mean, you saw the tornadoes of, of last week in Washington. That's where my brother-in-law lives, by the way. Um, and he was, he was okay. He was fine. But we know other people that were not fine at all. Uh, houses just smashed. They, people get home from church and they have no house. Everything can be shaken except for God. And you have God. And, and I think that's what James is going for here. Everything can shift. Shadows can be cast anywhere in your life. The darkness can come. But God doesn't change. He is unchanging. Our, uh, the theological term for this is uh, immutable. Immutable. Pastor Andrew, help me with that one, though. Okay, no, not really. <laughs> immutable. We, we don't sing about immutability, do we? I mean, that's not a word we probably use. We don't sing, you know, immortal, immutable. You know, we we don't do that, right? Um, How immutable is our God? Sing with me. Um, We don't do that. We don't do that. (laughs) And I shouldn't sing while I preach either. (laughs) Um, But that's, immutability is just simply saying he's unchanging. And all the people that don't like the heavy theology say, why don't you just say unchanging? Well, I did. There we go. Unchanging. Um, We can trust him. We can know that God is not some temper tantrum throwing kid in the sky ready to hit us one day and hug us the next. That's not who he is. You know people that are rather unstable. And when you get around them, you don't know whether you get the good side or the bad side. You know people like that. God is not like that. The person that you see in the scripture, that God, is the same one that you know. And the way he acts in the Bible is the way he acts today. You can count on it. Because he doesn't change. If he said he doesn't change, then he's got to be the same way in the Bible that he is today. He's got to be. So when you see things happening to people in the Bible, you'll probably be able to find some current circumstances that relate to that. And when you're going through something, God might lead you to a place in the Bible where it reveals who he is, and you say, I really relate to that story. I think I'm going through that story right now. And this is how God brought it all, this is how God worked it all out. God's not some kid in the sky trying to get us with some temper tantrum, mood swing sort of thing. He doesn't, that's not who he is. He's consistent with his character as revealed in the Bible. So the more you get to know him in the Bible and reflect on how that relates to your life, the more you get to know who he is. He is unchanging. So, what is one of the greatest gifts you can give a person? Think about that. What's one of the greatest gifts you can give a person? I was thinking about that. Love, maybe. Forgiveness. Maybe one of the greatest is life, right? Life. Mothers give that to kids through much effort and pain. Life. 
Look at verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He gave you salvation. He gave you new life. He gave you birth. You had a physical birth and then you had a spiritual birth. He was involved in both of those. He gave you the greatest gift you could ever receive. Life. In whatever creative way you can this year, make sure you spend ample time thanking him. Let's pray. Jesus, we can't thank you enough for what you've done for us. We can't thank you enough for our families, for our friends, for the freedom we enjoy in this country. We can't thank you enough for the salvation you've given us. We sang earlier about the harvest and tares being going, being, being taken away to be burned. We, we sang about that, and that is a, that is, that is quite a reality to think that, that we should have been the ones, we should have been the weeds that were burned. But then we accepted that free gift of salvation. So we, we just want to pause, reflect, thank you. Help us do that this week. Help us lift our eyes above the bad circumstances that some of us are going through. Help us consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Because the testing of our faith develops perseverance. Perseverance finishes its work and then we're mature and complete. We become more perfect. We become more like you. That's your goal. So we even praise you in the trials. It's not that we necessarily seek them out or desire them, but we desire you. And whatever you have for us, we will accept. Help us be thankful people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.